This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The fashion industry has been slowly embracing women of all sizes as designers are realizing the increasing market for plus-size clothing. Inclusive sizing is a $20 billion a year opportunity for clothing retailers. Nike is among the companies who embrace this change. After they added plus-size mannequins in their flagship London store, not only did searches of their brand and plus sizes increase, but so did their sales. Research shows almost 70% of American women wear size 14 or above, yet the industry has been stubbornly inaccessible to this consumer demographic in the past. So why the shift now? Ludovica Cesario is an assistant professor of marketing at Lehigh University. She joins us on the phone, as does Tomei Serdari, who is an adjunct professor of marketing at New York University's Stern School of Business. She's also editor of the publication Luxury, History, Culture, and Consumption. Ladies, great to have you back with us today. Thank you both. Hi, Dan. Good morning. Thanks. Thank you. Tommy, so what is driving the, the, this shift? I, I, obviously, bottom line is probably part of it, but, but inclusive makes you think that there is a, an element of understanding of what has been going wrong in the past. Yes, definitely. There are many things that have been going wrong in the past um, in the fashion industry, starting with the fact that this is a male-dominated industry uh, in terms of leadership and in terms of designers. So um, what has been produced over the years for women has been dictated by men and follow some sort of ideal of an ideal woman who, that is not reflecting the uh, reality and, and the actual size of women today. Ludovica, your thoughts? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But um, so you were asking, like, why has there been this shift now? And I think two things are important to mention here. One is the third wave of the body positive movement, uh, which first started as this advocacy group in the 1960s and then had the second wave in the 90s. And finally, in the 2010s, you know, with the rise of social media, it's really become uh, important for women to um be themselves, whatever their form, shape, size, or appearance. And so social media is the second key factor in why companies are now paying attention is because consumers are really uh, complaining about this lack of diversity in the fashion industry and are putting pressure on brands to serve a greater variety of customers. And fashion is such an important part of self-presentation and communicating our identity to others. And in the past, plus-size women, like Tomei was saying, had such a limited uh, number of identities they could show. And so I think social media is really putting pressure on companies to be to have more variety in their lives. But it, 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 so let's flip this from the uh, you know going back in time, Ludovica, and then we didn't. We've only had social media realistically for what about twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. Before that, then. What was holding it back? Was it just the mindset of the executives in these companies? Yeah, as Tomei was saying, you know, fashion was and still is a male-dominated industry, and there isn't really this understanding of diversity of the female body and diversity in what beauty is. Uh, And if you think about high-end luxury itself, it's still really not size-inclusive, right? If you look at some of the top luxury brands, their biggest size is a size 12. And like you mentioned, 66% of U.S. American women wear a 14 or above. So it's just been completely unacceptable accessible to them just because of snobbery, right? To them in the past and still today, unfortunately, they don't see these consumers with different bodies as being as worthy of being their customers. And so they just don't cater to them. 
Tell me how much then of a mind shift, a mind shift set is there in the companies and changes within the, the leadership to have more female voices being heard in a lot of these companies? I think the changes are coming, but they're very slow. Um, hopefully we are going to see some sort of acceleration. Um, and I want to say that in addition to social media, even traditional media has played a role in the past because it is truly a matter of education. So I remember, for example, in the early 2004 word when Stacey London had her excellent and fun show on TV, What Not to Wear, right. she was really the first woman who treated female bodies with such a sort of inclusive um, approach to dressing and, and started educating audiences about the possibilities of dressing through mainstream brands, but really expressing your identity and expressing what you want to say about fashion. Um, so uh, thinking about uh, the, the timeline of changes in leadership, I think it is slow, but actually the pressure is coming from all angles. Uh, it is a much bigger cultural wave, not only because of what Ludovic already explained to us with the body positive movement, but also if you think about other industries that are complementary to fashion, for example, again, um, TV, celebrities, uh, stand-up comedians, uh, think of Amy Schumer and how mm -hmm. much fun she has made of the um, uh, body pressure to look thin and skinny and yeah. wear certain types of clothing, or Lizzo, who is a fantastic singer and, and she's very vocal and proud of her body and tries to make other women feel comfortable with their body and shape. So I think that the pressure um, to these male-dominated companies and male designers is coming from all angles in, in society and our culture. Ludovica? Yeah, I agree. And I think adding to Tamai's point, if you look at the younger designers coming up now, inclusivity is a really important part of their fashion statements. Uh, I'm thinking Christian Siriano, for example, who is incredibly inclusive on his runways. And, you know, he himself said that the runway is one of the few opportunities that designers have to make a statement. And so for him, putting out inclusive designs, using models of all shapes and sizes as a way to say, I am designing for everyone. He's also one of the few designers that designs for um, celebrities who are plus sizes for the red carpet. You would be surprised to know, but some plus-size celebrities actually have a really hard time finding some designers to dress them when they go to these red carpets. Yeah. This year, BB Rexa, for example, she was going to the Grammys and won her first Grammy, and she put out this video on Instagram saying that she contacted many designers who refused to dress her, and she's a size six. Yeah. So you understand it's really a problem, as Tomei was saying, coming from all angles. Is there an element, though, Tomei, that... that when a company like Nike, you know, makes the move to, to add plus size mannequins, and, and obviously I think it's one thing to, to have these clothes available, but it's another thing to actually have them on display as they did in their store in London. Yes, this is truly a very positive change, and I was really happy to see that this has started happening. We have seen it also on some e-commerce sites where they have uh, different types of photography. So they truly show uh, clothing on uh, plus-size models to understand the fit. 
So uh, it's great to see um, the outfit um, and imagine yourself in it and figure out whether it fits before you actually go into the fitting room. Mm -hmm. And also not to feel embarrassed to have to ask the sales representative for something that has been tucked away in the back of the store mm -hmm. uh, with limited inventory and non-availability of all the sizes and so on and so forth. So basically they, they give their own clients a, a shame uh, trip mm -hmm. if they don't have... But, uh, I'm sorry, Ludovic. I mean, Nike, with the with the kind of the path that we're in right now with sportswear being so big, it's it's a massively huge business right now. Absolutely. I mean, sportswear is one of the fastest growing segments in fashion, right? It's worth $120 billion each year. It's growing at 6% a year. So Nike, I think, is spearheading this movement in the sportswear industry, and a lot of other brands are quickly following suit. Uh, and if you think about even just like the old navies of the world or the targets of the world are launching these active wear lines in plus sizes. But then I think it's also interesting that there is uh, brands developed specifically for plus size women or that offer sizes from, you know, regular to four extra large, yeah. specifically in sportswear. I'm thinking of Kate Hudson's Fabletics, for example. She has, you know, sportswear up to 3XL. And the, the interesting thing is that there she offers the exact same styles in all of these different sizes, which I think was one of the big issues in the past about these plus size lines being completely uh, missing the fashion element. The, the other element to this I mentioned before, Ludovica, is the fact that it, we talk about the the larger sizes, but there is also a movement in this area in terms of inclusive sizing on the very small sizes for the for the petite women as well. Absolutely, and definitely, right? Just like we need the 4XL, there's women who are extra, extra, extra small. But I think that market is much smaller than right. the plus size, and we talk about it less. But also, if you think about the sizes that brands start from, uh, there are most brands typically have a double zero size and they have petite versions. So even though there is an inclusivity issue on the small size as well, it hasn't yeah. been as important as the plus size. Well, and, and tell me, you, you also see this for men to a degree. There, there is more marketing of clothing towards men in larger sizes these days as well. Yeah, and, and here we have to think back to Bonobos when they started, mm -hmm. and basically that was their value proposition. Uh, these were pants for for men with, with truly larger behinds because they were active and they were uh, playing hockey and traditional menswear did not fit. So already you had someone who had thought of a real problem and found a solution and actually starting very slowly educating the consumer um, how to ask about what is a, a, a truly good fit for them. Going back to the marketing for a minute, Ludovica, you had also mentioned to me prior uh, about Dove and, and the Real Beauty campaign that they had run. Yeah, so Dove has been an advocate for real beauty and body positivity for a really long time. Their real beauty campaign actually started in 2004. Uh, I don't know if you or any of our listeners remember, but it was this video, uh, this time-lapse video of a model in this fake beauty ad and how you know the image was then photoshopped uh, to be put on a billboard, so to obtain this unattainable perfection. And it was incredibly powerful. It went super viral, and it showed how manipulative the beauty industry really was. And so... Dove is one of the brands, and many you know copycats have followed. But Dove still today is one of the few brands that in, that always talks about body positivity, and they have a real beauty pledge where they they vow to use real women and not models. They portray them in real life, and they really want to build girls' confidence and self esteem. So they're a really just supportive brand. Um, 
and to this whole body positivity movement. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about inclusive sizing and how it is changing the fashion industry. We're joined on the phone by Ludovico Cesario of Lehigh University, also Tomai Sodari, who's an adjunct uh, professor in marketing at NYU, also editor of Luxury History, Culture, and Consumption. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. How have you seen it maybe change in terms of your experience with fashion? Give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I would imagine Tell me that in some cases there can also be a bias against the manufacturers in terms of wanting to produce different pieces of clothing because of the sizing and how times sizing can be different from manufacturer to manufacturer. What may be a size six by one manufacturer may end up being a size eight or nine by another one. Oh, yes, this is a very well-known problem amongst women who shop because Mm -hmm. it is very hard, especially if you shop online without having the ability to try something on, to truly understand whether you're buying the correct size for you. Um, There are brands who do comparative surveys so that you can think whether you are 10 or 12 or 14, uh, but it's still difficult. And manufacturers resist the change because we have to think about the manufacturing process, how Mm -hmm. these machines are set up. Um, the settings that uh, it's much easier and, and uh, less costlier to change um, the sizing and the patterns and create different sizing for whatever design the designer wants from the manufacturer. Ludovica? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that is also one of the reasons why many, not many brands have started to design for plus size, like Tomei was saying. There are huge costs associated with creating this uh, bigger size line. Um, but also going back to the vanity sizing, meaning that different designers have different sizes, there's been some interesting research actually on this published in the Journal of Consumer Psychology back in 2014. Um, some research by uh, Joe Andrea Hogg and her colleagues where she finds that this the fact that consumers who, let's say, in the real world wear a size 6, but then when they go into the store have to pick out an 8 or a 10, actually influences their shopping experience and they react more negatively to those clothes because the fact that they need to pick a bigger size mm-hmm. actually represents a threat to their self-esteem. So there's something to be said about you know industry standards and sizing that we need to think about, especially if we're thinking about customer satisfaction. There was a comment that I, I read in one article about this, uh, Ludovica, that, that caught my attention. I wanted to get your reaction to it. The more aspirational a brand is, the smaller its size range tends to be. I know. Yeah, yes. So we mentioned before that luxury, if you look at the top 100 luxury brands, they do not go beyond a size 12. Uh, and again, I think we're, we're going back to what Tomai was saying, that there is this snobbery, meaning that high-end luxury fashion wants to serve a certain type of customer. Um, and if you think about, you know, lately we saw just, I think, a couple of days ago that Dolce Gabbana announced that they, they were going to increase their sizes all the way to an, an XXL. So it, there is some movement in the industry, but unfortunately, again, there is this old-fashioned snobbery that high-end luxury brands are serving a certain type of customer, and I'm not sure they're really ready to move away from that. Tell me. 
Yeah, it's a very elitist industry. The idea uh, of, of who the customer is is that it's this woman who uh, doesn't need to work, who is not stressed out, who has people taking care of her, has the perfect nutritionist, has time to go to the gym. Therefore, she can be a size zero to four, uh, nothing else will do. And, and that's exactly the, the um, type of, of elitism that is still prevalent in high fashion. Yet they, yet they, and many of these companies have been uh, financially very successful over the years. Even have that having that mindset, tell me. Yeah, because the uh, luxury consumer we have discussed uh, in the past is a very specific segment mm-hmm. um, who buys repeatedly, uh, but it's not an exclu- it's not an inclusive industry. So it's actually repeat customers. Um, and people who can participate in that. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us do not want to wear fashion. Ludovica, do, do then do new designers coming into this industry, they almost have to have this mindset coming, coming into the industry, correct? Absolutely, right? We were mentioning before some of the younger up-and-coming designers. They have to think about it because that is what the, the younger millennial consumer, who, if you remember, is now makes up the bulk of the market, is demanding. Um, if you think even, for example, Rihanna, and she launched her uh, Savage by Fenty lingerie collection at last year's New York Fashion Week, you know, she even had pregnant women on the runway, and she had models of all body types and skin tones. And she's thinking about inclusivity, not just on the runway, but if you think about her um, beauty brand, Fenty, it is as inclusive as it gets. She has over 40 shades of foundation. And so she, as a new designer, she's really thinking about how can I make my, you know, my, my target as, as large as possible and as inclusive as possible. But the, the celebrity side of it, Tommy, is, as Ludovica just mentioned, there is an element where when you factor in their celebrity and you factor in their reach, as you mentioned before, on, on social media, they have an unbelievable influence that, that can promote a, a, a fantastic message moving forward. Yes, and, and we have seen that. We have seen many more voices um, and many more opinions and uh, influencers with very high number of followers who actually advocate for a more inclusive fashion industry. So I think we are moving into the right direction, and social media is allowing this multiplication of, of voices. So then what do you think are the next steps to, to, to move this even further down the road? I think technology is going to help us move further uh, in, in terms of design and manufacturing. Um, so we know that there is uh, a big problem with um, manufacturing clothing because you have to have bought a minimum uh, of, of textiles, and, and it's very hard to, to move away from that because it's an industry standard. But I think as technology allows us to do more personalization and customization and considering that even these huge manufacturing machines are going to uh, evolve and take into account or adjust to this new, new technological wave that is changing everything in our life, including artificial intelligence, we may actually be able to see a much more tailor-fitted, truly tailor-fitted uh, garment that is being produced for me, for my body type and my size and fits me. We're not there yet, but I think that within five years, we, we can see a lot of things happening in the industry. Ludovica? 
Yeah, I agree. And if you think about the rise of these purely digital players uh, that have developed these lines, thinking about all shapes and sizes from the very beginning, I'm thinking of Third Love or Eloquy, which was then bought by Walmart. I think that, as, as Tumayi was saying, moving forward, they're going to be much more of the standard. So they are going to be inclusive from the very beginning. Uh, and we are then going to see a shift you know, ripple through the industry overall. But the understanding of, of the social media component, Ludovica, becomes very important because you don't want to make a mistake, mistake in that social media component that, that ends up having a, a hindrance or a little bit of backfire uh, when you're trying to advance a, a, a social agenda like this. Well, absolutely. I mean, what you preach is what you actually have to do, right? So you can't just be body positive online, but then there's no reflection of this body positivity in the store or on your uh, e-commerce website. So I think that a lot of brands, again, the purely digital players are very good at communicating this online, and then it's reflected in what they're actually selling. Some other more traditional brands are struggling because, for example, I remember ASOS put out an ad where they had a plus-size model um, for their lingerie line, but then didn't actually sell that plus size line. Uh, so there has you and, and of course consumers realize that very quickly and there's huge backlash. So you need to be very careful about what your message is on social media and how well that is reflected into what you're actually selling. Well, if we're talking about, you know, changing the dynamic of, of who are the voices that are heard in the boardroom of some of these companies and, and making them uh, less male and more female, you also would want to have uh, more uh, inclusive personnel that, that are in these meetings as well, correct? Yeah, we've talked about this before uh, in another uh, another time, but the idea that there has to be more diversity in the, in the workplace, in fashion, is really important right now. If you remember when we talked about the Gucci mishap and the Dolce & Gabbana mishap um, with more um, ethnical issues, uh, that's something that we discussed. And so there needs to be more diversity at all levels of the company in uh, when we talk about fashion to really make a difference. Tell me. Yes, I agree. And also we need to take into account that this is not an American problem only. It is right. global. Uh, the population everywhere is getting bigger uh, for, for, for a variety of reasons, um, including in China, which is a very, very interesting phenomenon. So um, Asian uh, people who have been traditionally considered on the smaller um, end of the spectrum are getting bigger and heavier, and they too are pushing the industry for a different type of uh, clothing and sizing. That's it, 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 That piece is, is something that we hadn't touched on, but when you look at the global side of this, the, the, this is a fashion industry that touches every country, every de uh, demographic, every group around the globe. So this is not only just $20 billion here in the United States, Tommy. This is billions and billions of dollars around the globe every year. Yes, it is billions and billions of dollars. And uh, companies need to be smart to understand how to um, uh, hire designers who can actually manipulate the garment at the pattern-making phase to actually create different types of garments for different body types because size is not the problem only it's not a it's, it's not a, a a question of being 30 pounds overweight it's a question of having a different body type and it is the body type that has remained in the ideal form of the 1950s and 60s and that of course is from a western perspective and not globally as you said great having you both with us thank you ladies all the best 
Thank, Thank you very you. much, Ben. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Ludovica Cesario from Lehigh University, Tomoyi Sardari, who is at uh, an adjunct at NYU and also editor of Luxury, History, Culture, and Consumption. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.